I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Vetter, Scott Eklund, Alamo Bowl. Just press conference this morning with Steve Sarkeesian and Galen DeBoer. A little weird. I'm st- I still just can't get used to those Texas colors, but uh, we had a press conference with those guys today. We've, we'll talk about Michael Penix and the impact of him coming back, as well as some of the pending decisions on guys at uh, University of Washington that may go to the NFL. Recruiting updates, portal updates, and big basketball game at 6 o'clock tomorrow with Gonzaga, and that's on Fetters. Have we uh, decided if whether it's Root, Root Plus, or Root Plus, or Root, or the same thing? Have we decided on that yet? I think it's just Root. I, I looked on Fubo. It's on Fubo. So anybody that's got Fubo can can see the game. Yeah, no, it was kind of confusing, but it was just a couple of days ago. We actually got a start time on that. It was TBD for a while, but, you know, let's jump back to the press conference today. We had a Zoom call with Steve Sarkeesian and, um, and Coach Kalen DeBoer, and I think the only thing we got out of that really, Chris, was uh, Washington's the home team, which means they'll be wearing what? Probably wearing purple, I would imagine. I mean, which would be good. I mean, that's that would be the good. I mean, Texas when, is pretty known for wearing white, so that would be make sense to me. When when they played Baylor, Washington was the away team. They wore all whites, so yeah, uh, th- this is their chance to be in all purple or purple and gold. Yeah, last time that Washington played, I mean, it was epic, and we've talked about this before. What was it, 67 to 56 with RG3 and Keith Price, and then after the game, Washington pretty much fired their entire defensive coaching staff? Yeah. No, that's one thing that Sark didn't talk about today um, was definitely the aftermath of that and really no reason to hash it. But uh, definitely he talked about Washington's offense and, and what Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb are doing right now. and pretty glowing terms. He said he wanted to try to see if he could get DeBoer off to the side and see if he could do kind of a little mini coaching clinic for him to, to talk about their offense. Because, uh, you know, clearly if, if there is another 67-56 game on the horizon, these two teams are capable of doing it. See, I just remember that being a real high-scoring game, but I didn't remember it was 67. I didn't remember 67. I just remember it was just, did anybody punt? Was there any punts in that game, Chris? Yeah, there was at least one because I remember Casey Williams had a pretty decent punt return, didn't he? I thought he had a really good punt return um, that set Washington up, and we thought they were going to end up going in and scoring and either tying it or I can't remember what it was, but he he, or maybe he did actually set them up so that they could draw closer. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but I do know Casey Williams had a big punt return. Scott, the big thing that everybody was, you know, in person at the conference today was, uh, you know, trying to get out of Steve Sarkeesian on who's going to play and who's not going to play. They've got several guys that could go to the NFL. Headlining is uh, B. John Robinson. Do you think, you know, he's the running back? Washington recruited him. I didn't, like I said in the previous podcast, I didn't think he was that big. He's 220 pounds. He's a big dude. Yeah. um, And I mean, it's already been said that he's coming back. So I expect him to play. Are you um, sure about that? That's what was out on the internet. I mean, I, as much as you can trust the internet, I guess. I thought he was still up in the air. Not uh, maybe. I I mean, I've just been scanning. I haven't seen a you know read the story or anything. But anyway, um, I do expect him to play if he does stay. I mean, I I just don't know if he. 
I don't know if he's staying or not. So um, the big thing is, you know, they, they've got like eight starters who are supposedly guys that were looking at possibly going to the NFL. And if they don't end up playing now, the thing about Texas is unlike Washington, who has like three stars and maybe is a little thin in depth, Texas has a bunch of four and five star guys in their depth. So um, you're just replacing a four star guy with possibly a younger five star guy, you know, that just didn't overtake him yet. So a um, lot of a lot of depth there at, at and talent at Texas, but, you know, hasn't been developed, you know, on on the defensive side of the ball. Pete Kwiatkowski, there isn't much better than him um, as a defensive coordinator. And, and Jeff Choate is there, former Husky D-line coach. He's there. So those guys do a good job of developing. And, and Steve Sarkeesian is always a really good game planner and gets the most out of his offense. So Washington's going to, regardless of whether eight guys end up transferring, or I'm sorry, not transferring, but end up uh, going to the NFL, early and don't play regardless of whether that happens Washington's going to have a huge task on their hands stopping this team anybody that B. John Robinson reminds you of either you or Chris well he's just I mean he's a classic Texas running back I mean he's I wouldn't say he's the you know the same as like a Ricky Williams or any of those types of guys but he's just super super productive I think what did he run for 13 1400 yards yeah. this year and um you know, just as you said, 225 pounds, 220, 225 pounds. He can get the job done outside in, in between the tackles. I mean, he's just a very good all around uh, back. And, you know, Roshan Johnson's uh, another guy that they were talking about my turn pro too. And uh, talking to Sark, you know, he, he certainly seemed to intimate in this press conference that it wasn't just those guys, but any of those guys, as Scott said, those eight guys, you know, they're doing they're going day by day on these guys. He goes, they've got incredible decisions to make, and they're just trying to get the information that they need to make the best decisions for themselves. So who? it's really he made it seem like it was a 50 50 choice for a lot of these guys right now. Kim, you, well, hold on, uh, Kim, you asked who he reminds me of. Maybe a little Joe Mixon. Yeah, maybe a little bit because uh, he can catch the ball pretty well. And he's really good at running between the tackles and he's got enough speed once he gets in the open field. What about think, the what about the current Georgia guy Kendall Milton? Does he mind? Uh, I haven't seen him enough to. I saw Joe Mil or Joe Mixon so many times that it that, that's who he reminds me of. But I, I mean, I, I haven't seen uh, Kendall Milton enough yet. And Scott, the other guy that I think Washington's just probably just really scared of is another guy that Washington recruited, uh, Xavier Worthy, the wide receiver. Oh and, yeah, with, with world class speed. Right. I, I mean, is that a guy you're just going to go, man? How are they going to? I can see yeah. how you can stop. Uh, beat on Robinson, but how are you going to stop Xavier Worthy? Yeah, I know, and they they don't just get him the ball on on long passes. They get him the ball short, and then he'll hit with his running ability. He can just take it the distance too. So I mean, we saw it against uh, Oklahoma in the last two years, and and he's done it several times this year as well. So um, yeah, I he, he's one that that fans should definitely be a little bit worried about. Now, but with Worthy though, isn't it? With him, he that's just portal, right? He's not old enough to go into the NFL yet. Is is he only a year or two out of high it's school? Two years. This is his second year. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So I think they were talking about maybe. He well, was hold on. He first. was he was at he was at Michigan, and was he just there for spring ball? Because I know he was at Michigan. Yeah, but wasn't he at Michigan for a year, and then he's been at and Texas then, for a year? For no, two years. Okay. No, yeah. I think he's draft eligible. Yeah, okay. I think he is too. 
Yeah, Insider Report, Texas wide receiver Xavier Worthy is leaning towards staying, but that's a guy that Washington was in on really, really hard, and then it just seemed like when that list got cut down, it was all the big boys, Scott. Yeah, well, it was Oregon, Washington, Michigan, and then I think one other school, or maybe Texas, and um, he chose to go to Michigan and just didn't like it there. Maybe it was the offense he didn't like. I don't know what it was, but he just decided not to stay there, went down to Texas to play for Sark, and maybe he had a previous relationship with Sark. I don't know, but whatever it was, he's gone down there, and he's become a really, really big-time player for them. Is he the fastest player in college football? I I have no idea. He's fast. He's faster than anybody that Washington has, I'll tell you that. Or has played. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. no, that— I think that's going to be the uh, uh, interesting. Well, matchup. what about uh, Dante Thornton's pretty good, pretty fast guy too, and yeah. those running backs for are super I'm, quick too. I'm talking about fast on the football field, not fast on entering the portal. Scott, come on oh, now. Okay, all right. <laughs> Uh, Dante Thornton, of course, entered the transfer portal, the wide receiver from Oregon. But uh, yeah, no, I, I just think this is a real, real interesting matchup with uh, Texas and uh, Washington. And what did I see that the several people said other than the, you know, the New Year's Day six? This is probably the most intriguing bowl game out there. <laughs> it was funny, though. Sark said that Washington's a top 10 team, and that's not actually true. So if they're close. And I'm sure that a lot of Washington fans think that they're a top 10 team and should be. But uh, it's interesting to see Sark already kind of playing the role of Lou Holtz and hyping the Huskies up to no end. I mean, he certainly had plenty to say about their offense, and rightly so. I mean, there's there's a lot a lot of good things going on there. But I thought it was interesting that Sark, you know, noted that they are a, apparently a top 10 team. So uh, maybe well, that's a way are. to maybe he that's a way are. to get their uh, to get his team motivated. Uh, how much do you think Sark has changed, Scott, since he's left here? Uh, I think I think he's gotten a little more perspective and figured out that what's most important is what he, the job he does on the field. And he's done a really good job of bringing in guys that can coach. Um, you know, when he first got to the University of Washington and and he went down to L.A. to to coach at USC. His coaching tree wasn't very high. He hadn't worked at a lot of places with big time coaches yet other than USC. And, and I mean, a lot of that was just the good old boy network for for Trojan guys. And so, you know, I, I think he's just matured. I, I think he's got some some life work balance and and hopefully he's got perspective. I mean, we're not around him enough to know if he's possibly slipping back into some of the things that he used to do. I sure hope he isn't. And um Everything that we know is he's he's on the straight and narrow and and he's getting it done. You know, he's he's won eight games and and he's trying to bring Texas back. And, uh, you know, he went out and got the best defensive coordinator he could find. And that's in Pete Kwiatkowski, who struggled last year. But that's because he was implementing his system this year. They're playing a lot better defense. Well, one thing Sark was noted for here at Washington, he could recruit. And he, he may not have the wins on the record right now, but he's had a couple of dynamic recruiting classes. So kind of mm-hmm. like Dion says, I'm coming. And I think I think he's coming as well. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. You know, I mean, uh, is he making inroads in SEC territory? Because that's where, you know, where he's going to be able to find a lot of talent, too. And he's going to be playing, uh, you know, at an SEC schedule. In a, is it next year? Is it 2024? I think 20, so. I, I, 2024, 2025, whatever it is. Um, I said next year. I meant two years from now. But, um, you know, I I just 
I've just always respected Steve Sarkeesian for his offensive abilities. And I thought he was exactly what Washington needed. Um, I don't know if he's the winning, you know, if he's a guy who's going to take you to a championship, but boy, he, he's a guy who can get you right and, and get you a lot of talent in your, in your program and, yeah. and then kind of go from there. Hey, Chris, how, how old was Sark when he came to Washington? You know, I kind of look at how young he was, and then you try to think about Dan Lanning and how young he was, and then the mistakes both of them made, you know, early in their career. The difference is, you know, Sark took over, <laughs> you know, a, a one-win program, uh, excuse me, a zero-win program. Zero win, La- yeah. Lanning came in with a lot of talent, but how old was Sark? Do you remember? I don't remember, and I don't know how you can I wanna, forget 2008. I, I, yeah, I yeah. want to say he was Trying 36. To. I'm pretty sure he was 36. Yeah, but I, all I remember is Sark's first year because Lanning is just lambasted for those fourth down calls he made. But when Sark, his first year here, remember how often he went for it on fourth down? I don't, but I mean, at the same time, I mean, you know, talking today, he certainly had nothing but fond memories about it and 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 had great things to say about Washington and, and certainly talked about the idea of, leaving Washington in a better place than he found it, which I'm not sure there's a coach out there that couldn't have done that, but he certainly did that. There's no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, he probably made a lot of mistakes along the way. And, you know, talking to, or listening to him today, he certainly, I agree a lot with what Scott said. I think he, he still kind of showed the sense of humor he's always had. And, and I think the perspective is certainly there. Um, I know he probably came to Washington with a lot of concrete ideas about his philosophy and the way he wanted to do things. And now it sounds to me like he's gained enough perspective to know that he doesn't know everything. And so even when asked about the players like like Robinson and Roshan Johnson and whether they were going to play or not, or, you know, the decisions they've got to make, you know, he just talked about, you know, trying to get through the day and 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 making sure that they were you know, winning today and and making sure that they were getting better today and all those types of things. Same thing. He was asked about the, you know, mid-year signing period and whether he would change anything as far as recruiting and the portal and NIL and all that. And he's like, guys, I don't have any answers for you there. I'm just trying to do the best we can with the rules that the way they are now. So I think he's definitely uh, gotten some perspective over the years. Hey, Chris, when you talk about, you know, going from Washington to the pressure cooker known as USC and the amount of pressure he was under down there, where do you think there's more pressure to win, USC or Texas? Oh, Texas, without question, Texas. No, USC is Southern California. I mean, I know it gets the rep of being laid back and things like that, and obviously there are tons of expectations at USC. There's no question about that. All that said, though, he had been to USC before. He had been a big part of that winning tradition under Pete Carroll. So when he was going back, he was going back as a favorite son. When he was going to Texas, he was going to Texas as a guy that was expected to win. And he, because he would, he was coming from Alabama. He was coming from, you know, uh, being under the wing of Nick Saban. He was supposed to be that guy that was supposed to be the offensive savant, supposed to come in and, you know, improve things right away. And that obviously hasn't happened. So, you know, I'm sure that the clock is still ticking for him. I don't know if you remember this. I'm going to pull one out way from the past, Chris. I, uh, Jeff Shelton. I remember talking to Jeff Shelton's dad 
and I'm sure you remember him, but uh, Jeff took a uh, and the family took a trip down to Texas, a recruiting visit down there. And they said they went into Mac Brown's office and he said it was the biggest office I've ever been to. And they got to this big table and they under uh, undid all these blueprints. And he said, let me show you how we do things at Texas. And they showed him all the facility plans and he just raved about, yeah, they do things different down in Texas. Oh yeah. Do you, remember, do you remember that? Well, yeah, and 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 you know, he's he's also been a part of the renovation stuff and he was a big part of the renovation stuff for Husky Stadium because that happened yeah. right in the middle of his tenure and and so, you know, all that stuff was going on and so he got a chance to design his own office with the with the um bathroom and all that stuff going on. Well, the recruiting on. the recruiting lounge was Sure. Sorry. No question about it. And so I, I guarantee you there is no doubt that whatever whatever happened at Husky Stadium during that renovation, everything else, when he got to Texas, I'm sure it blew it completely out of the water. Because when they say everything is bigger in Texas, they mean it. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Oh, yeah. So, looking forward to that game, but Scott, I want to switch topics right now. And then, uh, you know, um, you broke down the impact of Michael Panic's returning because everybody just kind of looks on the surface. But we've always been, okay, what does it mean? And with Michael Panic's coming back, it's just kind of you, you. It's easy to go down a rabbit hole on what it means, but I think you broke it down uh, really, really good. Not only what it means to the current roster, but uh, you know, guys possibly coming back to play with him, and then the impact it has on recruiting as well. Talk a little bit overall. Just give me a, a blanket. Just how big Michael Penix returning is, and how big of an impact it's going to make on this program. Because you know they're going to put together a Heisman campaign like Washington's never done before. Yeah, and I mean, I think the biggest impact, I mean, at least immediately, is going to be on the media department. <laughs> because uh, if they weren't ramping things up before uh, for a possible Heisman run, they definitely are now. And he's going to have, you're, he's going to be out in front of the cameras quite a bit. And I, and I don't know how comfortable Michael Penix is about being in front of the camera. He's he's not uncomfortable when you talk to him, but he never he rarely talks about himself. It's almost always about the team, all the you know, the the offense, the overall and all those things and he just likes to go out and play football. So I don't know how comfortable he's going to be out there in front of everything, but he's going to be talked about from as long as he's healthy going into the season, he's going to be uh talked about by every pundit, by every analyst that that's out there, Kirk Herbstreet, all all of the ESPN guys are going to be talking about him. Fox will be talking about him. Chris Peterson will probably be talking about him on you know all those different things. Rick Neuheisel, uh, everybody's going to be talking about Michael Penix is one of the favorites for the Heisman heading into the season next year. You as can't far- buy. You can't buy that kind of publicity. No, though, by no, the way. not at all. And 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 the the other thing is too. Then when you look about how it impacts things on the field, I talked about in the article that I wrote on him that I thought that Jalen uh, McMillan and uh, Romo Dunsey were definitely on the out. There, they were they were definitely looking at going 
to the NFL early. Um, neither one of them is ready, in my opinion, but both of them are looking at leaving. I think now, I think you're more than likely going to get both of those guys to stay. It, if one leaves, it'll be Rome, Odunzi, but I, I still think he, there's a very good chance that he ends up staying. When when you've got a quarterback who throws the way Michael Penix does and the rapport that he's worked out with these guys, you can't buy that. That That's something that, that only develops over time, and it's only going to get better the longer he throws with these guys. So, I think that's big. I think it's big for the possibility of getting Troy Fautanu to return uh, the left tackle. I think Washington's got a great shot to get him back. If you can get him and Roger Rosengarten back, then you've got uh, Mateo Mele, who um, d- did not start this year, but he but he played a lot, so he'll be playing the center. So you've got your three kind of you got three guys that with starting experience and a lot of experience. We're going to be playing on those that offensive line, and then you got to fill in Nate Kalepo and possibly Kieran Hatchett at left and right guard, and possibly get some other guys in there too. So I think that's where it impacts a lot of things, and then how it impacts the defense. You know, it sounds weird to say a quarterback impacting the defense, but when a quarterback can help you score quickly and often, it puts a lot of pressure on the opposing offense to do a lot of different things, and I think that's one of the reasons Dan Lanning. Uh, went for it when he did against the University of Washington, uh, you know, fourth and one at his own, what was it, 29, 39, whatever it was. And then and then other other teams did the same thing and, and felt the pressure. And Washington was able to get some stops on defense because it made other teams one-dimensional. So a lot of different ways that he's going to impact this program, besides the fact that he's just a really cool kid. And, you know, I I say kid, he's almost 24. I think he is 24 years old. So, you know, I mean, he's he's just a really cool guy and his teammates all seem to love him. The, the, The coaches love him. He's a producer. And I think he's a model uh, spokesman for this program. Hey, Chris, you know, just looking forward with Panics coming back and you look at that schedule next year and then you think of ESPN game day. Um, possibly one or possibly two games that Washington could be on their game day because you know that that USC game down in LA with the you know possible two front runners for the Heisman on game day down at USC and then if Bo Nix comes back that Oregon Washington game could be incredible and game day returning for a second time up here that's the kind of publicity you can't buy but just you know that I think that USC matchup next year that's going to be huge. Well, it is going to be huge for obvious reasons because it, it certainly looks like Caleb Williams is going to be the Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, he's already won the the Player of the Year. I think the AP reported on it. Um, you know, their College Player of the Year. So yeah, I mean, there's it's it's going to be kind of crazy. I mean, if you start right away, you you host Boise State, which is going to be no pushover, and then you host Tulsa, which ironically enough just hired Ohio State's uh, offensive coordinator. So there's connections there with, I'm sure Scott will talk about it recruiting a little bit later with Lincoln Keenholz, but then also at Michigan State, that's already circled as a red letter game, because anytime you can go on the road at the big somewhere in the Big Ten, you know that's going to be high profile, big time atmosphere in East Lansing, and he's going to have a lot to prove already. So. Scott talked about it in terms of not just Penix returning, but how that can impact other players, especially guys like Odunze and McMillan. Odunze was on KGR earlier this week, guys. He said that Penix returning makes a huge impact into his final decision. So we'll see. But I I think 
him coming back is part of the bigger plan. And whether these guys will com- uh, confirm it or not, or will ever talk about it, maybe after the fact, I guarantee you these guys have had talks. They've had to have had talks, not just in the locker room, but like serious discussions with family members and all this stuff. Because this stuff, the stuff that Penix just did has huge ripple effects in this program. No, it's just it's gigantic. And then you take a look at even the transfer portal and then how it's impacting recruiting, especially quarterbacks on the roster. It's kind of funny that when um, Penix announced he was coming back with the video, it started out seeming like he was going to leave. And then he announced he's coming back. And the only two people that knew about it were Michael Penix and the video guy. And even the coaches didn't know. And you just wonder, sitting in that team meeting, how it made you know, Dylan um, Dylan Morris and Sam Heward feel. Or, I don't think we're going to lose Sam Heward. But, and I don't think that Dylan Morris is going anywhere either. Um, but they're short on the quarterbacks on the roster right now, Scott. They are. And, um, you know, I, I think – so. If I, this is one thing I didn't mention, if Penix had left, if he had decided to leave, um, Washington was definitely going to be in the mix for a transfer portal quarterback. But now that he's coming back, and if you can talk Dylan Morris and uh, Sam Heward into returning, who I believe the coaches would like both like both to return, and you can get Lincoln Keenholt stand up signing with you and, and enrolling next next uh, summer. You know, I I think Washington's going to be in good shape at their quarterback spot. But, you know, if even if Lincoln Keenholz doesn't end up signing with the University of Washington, Washington could go out and get a get a fourth guy um, who's a grad transfer, maybe who who they're like, you know, or maybe even a guy who's like a redshirt freshman or sophomore and just say, hey, we've got our starter for this year, but you can you can be a year in the system and battle for it starting in the spring of 2024. And, and I think that might be appealing to some, some guys who might be interested. Chris, three quarterbacks on the roster is not ideal. Well, it's not ideal. And, and they've even said as much, and they said as much last spring that having three quarterbacks is not ideal scholarship guys. And so I think that's why they went out and tried to get a couple guys that could impact their roster, even in terms of walk-on guys, guys that are important scout uh, type guys and and whatnot and and I think they're still going to be out there looking for those types of guys but I think Scott's right um, I know a lot of people are are really concerned about Keenholz and 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 rightly so I mean when a team like Ohio State calls it calls they're, you're going to take their call and you're going to find out what they're all about I'll be very curious to see what happens because of Kevin Wilson and the Ohio State offensive coordinator going to Tulsa seeing how that impacts things and whether or not. That means Keenholz decides to wait until February to sign anywhere to see who Ohio State signs to be their offensive coordinator, for instance. Um, the other thing I would say is just generally speaking, I agree 100 percent again with Scott on uh, even if they lost Keenholz, the idea that there are going to be guys that are in the portal that have pl- maybe redshirted or have played a year in a system that they really, really like. And they can they can absolutely recruit the heck out of that group because you've got two semi-experienced guys, one very experienced guy in Dylan Morris, one lesser experienced guy in Sam Heward. Now, if you get a guy that's maybe only had a year in a program, but you can bring them along and develop them in the portal, I guarantee you there are going to be players out there that have 
very similar skill sets to a guy like a Lincoln Keenholz that they can develop. And so there are ways to get around that now because the portal gives them so many options. Uh, Scott, Lincoln Keenholz isn't exactly enamored with dealing with the media and the recruiting process, but uh, what can you update people of on Lincoln Keenholz right now? Well, uh, and, and it's funny because I texted with him and I just said, hey, I know you're not a fan of doing interviews. I just was wondering when the, the Huskies were going to be in home with you and when Ohio State's going to be in home. And I, and I, I, I specifically said, I think I said the head coaches uh, because the assistant coach can have an in-home every week with him. Just You can only have it once a week, but you can have it every week. And um, so I, I don't know um, – you know, how many times Washington's going to try and meet with them between now and, and signing day, which is on the 21st. So we're what, 13 days away um, from that. But um, Washington did their in-home and that includes Kalen DeBoer uh, supposedly did it last weekend. And um, he said it went really well. And then he said Ohio State and he means uh, Coach Day is supposed to be in there. Uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend. So the weekend before signing day. And that's going to be real telling to see if they're able to talk him into signing with them. Or they might even just want to get him to hold off so they can see what C.J. Stroud ends up doing. So I think a lot of it's going to really depend on you know how these in-home visits go. And I, I agree with Chris. I think there's a very good chance that he might not sign uh, in um, December. Yeah. Signing day is what, the 21st, Scott? Yeah. And then it's a window that they can sign in. Is that correct? Yeah, three days. It's a three-day window, so between the 21st and the 24th. And if he doesn't sign then, or then the next— I'm sorry, Kim. It might be just—it's uh, it's the 21st to the 23rd, so three full days. If he doesn't sign at that period of time, then the next signing period is uh, the first starts the first Wednesday in February? Yes, correct. And then is that pretty much uh, that's an open signing period after after it's the- it's open until I think Chris you might know this off the top of your head but I think it's sometime in May like Histor- mid May historically historically it's been until mid April mid April that's what it is okay yeah so uh, just gun to your head does Lincoln Keenhold sign a letter of intent. <laughs> in uh in december no i if, if you said scott i'm gonna shoot if you're wrong um my get my if i think the percentages lean toward him not signing it's a little difficult for us to really get a handle on things you know and our sources are just saying they're they're right in there i i just my gut says and this is hard for people he may not be leaning one way or another he sometimes kids just honestly don't know I I think he's torn because I think the big thing is, you know, one thing he said to me when in the one time he granted me an interview, I mean, I think I now I could be wrong on this, but I think I'm the only uh, non South Dakota media person that's actually talked to him in the last six months. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's what it was. And um, he basically said to me, he's like, hey, um, you know, or no, I guess Steve Wilfong did, too. So sorry about that. But anyway, um he uh he basically said to me he goes it's ohio state i've got a they're they're hard to say no to you know and when you're when you're a kid when you're 17 and you don't live near a school you didn't grow up a fan of the university of washington or anything like that it, it's 
I can totally get why why Ohio State would be appealing, even if they have the number one guy committed to them for 2024. You know, Lincoln Kineholtz doesn't care about that. I think Lincoln Kineholtz thinks that, hey, if I go in there and, and they, they give me an opportunity to win that job, I'm going to win it. And and I don't care if the guy the, the guys in front of me or behind me are first are uh, five star guys and number one overall recruits. I'm going to win it. And um, I think <clears throat> so. I, I really just think that he loves Washington. He loves the staff. He feels very comfortable with them. They're Midwest guys. Uh, him and DeBoer, Midwest guy, you know, DeBoer, DeBoer and Grubb are Midwest guys and they're from the same state and they, they get him. And I think he likes the offense. I think he knows that they stuck with him and everything like that. But when you have a team, regardless of whether Ohio State quarterbacks have actually done well in the NFL or not, is is kind of irrelevant. They've all gone in the first round. And I mean, even bad quarterbacks from them who just are awful went in the first round and that's because of what they're able to do when they're at Ohio state. Even if he stinks, he's still going to get a huge paycheck coming out of college. Something that he may never have to work for the rest of the, for the rest of his life if he gets that contract. And so I can understand why it would be appealing to somebody who did not grow up a fan of the university of Washington. And just, hey guys, we're, we're, but real quick, Kim, I, I just, yeah. guys in general, my, my question on all this is, and I agree Scott, in general, if you don't know, if you're in Lincoln Keenholz's situation and and you don't know who your coordinator is going to be at one of the schools you're looking at, ideally you would want to wait to see how that gets resolved, right? What my question is, is it because it's the quarterback, because there's only so many chairs that are available to these guys, whether you're looking at high school kids, portal kids, whatever, what I'm wondering is, is he going to be given the luxury of being able to wait? Because I'm wondering if you're Washington or Ohio State, are you putting this kid's feet to the fire and going, hey, we want you now, but we need a decision now? Because you're seeing all these portal guys and they could be going to, to you know school A, B, C, D, E while you're waiting for him to make a decision. Yeah. And now all of a sudden he can leave you high and dry. So I'm wondering if he's going to be given the luxury to be allowed to wait until February. So you're I wondering will, if he's I, I, you're I wonder, wondering if he's going to get Brett Rippened. Yeah, I wonder. I honestly wonder whether he's going to be given the luxury. Because let's say you're Ryan Grubb. You're sitting here going, we put our blood, sweat, and tears into this recruitment only to get one up potentially by Ohio State. We need to move, we need to know where we're at. We need to know, are you in or out, so that if we need to go into the portal, we have as much time as we can to go through this whole thing and get the best guy that we can get that's available. Because you know the quarterbacks, those guys are going fast. I am sure that they're looking at other quarterbacks, and if they get close on another quarterback, they're going to go to Keen Holes, and Ohio State's going to do the same thing. Hey, you know, we've got this out, and we need to know if you're coming – Fine, we'll drop the other guy, but if you can't make a decision, we're going to go with the other guy. That, that point's going to come at some point unless he yeah, signs and, in the early signing period. And that's why I agree with Scott. In theory, it makes sense for him to wait. I think in reality, I don't know if he's going to be given an opportunity to wait. And that's Just a good point, up. Chris. I, I, I didn't even contemplate that. But it, the other thing is, too, and everybody says, well, he's got his, his offensive coordinator on staff at the University of Washington. He can know. But – who knows if Ryan Grubb's even going to be here two years from now? 
You know, I mean, that's a selling point that Ohio State can say and say, hey, Ryan Grubb might not be at Washington in two years. We're going to hire a guy who's going to be with you for three or four years. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, guys. We always, you know, we always talk about in recruiting generally, you've got you've got to find the place that's the best fit for you when you take football out of the equation, because that's the one constant. You know, the school is not going to move, but the play, but the coaches can. And so you've got it. You've kind of got to look at it dispassionately and take the, the football out of it. But the, what's the reality is the reality that there's no way that that happens. They always try to create that relationship with their coaches because that's the bond. And that's the guy that they're going to be dealing with for the next three to four years. So that's that's important as well, no doubt. It's the game of chicken that comes down to the final, you know, few days of recruiting because we're coming right up on that early signing period. But if he doesn't sign, that game of chicken's going to go on a little bit longer. So we'll we'll see where it goes. But hey, Scott, just I wanted to touch bases on uh, Ohio State's quarterback situation. They had a quarterback uh, committed, one of the best in the country, and he decommitted. And where did he go? Uh, Florida State. I can't. I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but he went to Florida State. And then there were some rumors that Ohio State was looking at uh, Drake May, the quarterback from um, Carolina, and it looks like he's come out and said he's staying at Carolina. Yep, yep. And if that would have, if if May had had been open to going into the portal and possibly going to Ohio State, I think that Keenholz probably ends up signing with Washington because he yeah, knows. Yep. And one more thing, guys. They also have uh, committed the twenty, the one of the top twenty twenty four quarterbacks already. Riola. So there's right? already another guy yeah. in the pipeline. Yeah, Riola. Yeah, I haven't. That guy couldn't show up early, could he? You mean well, what, reclassify? What you mean by, yeah, reclassify. Uh, I not not to my knowledge, but I mean, I didn't know JT uh, Daniels was going to do it. I didn't know Qu- Quinn Ewers was going to do it. So anything is possible. The thing we don't know, Scott, is we don't we haven't I haven't heard. I don't know if you have. I haven't heard of any other quarterbacks on Washington's radar. Have you? Um, No, uh, I guess the ones I've heard of that they were at least uh, putting out feelers for were uh, Childs, um, who Washington um, brought in for an official visit. Um, he's committed to Oregon State. And then, um, again, you're catching me off guard a little bit, but it's the kid, the kid who's committed to Washington State right now. Um, I know they put out some feelers on him, too. Well, well it looks, like he's he's taking a visit to, looks like he's taking a visit to Michigan State this weekend, by yeah. the way, Scott. Yeah, he just got offered by Michigan State. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the quarterback merry-go-round. And the thing is, even – okay, so let's say, worst-case scenario, Washington doesn't get Keenholz. Keynotes goals to Ohio State. Or, I mean, worst case scenario, Washington could get him on the rebound. I mean, he goes in and signs, and then he sees that Ryan Day doesn't really give him the time of day. No, no pun intended. But you know, when this new guy with when Riola comes in and they're they're all enamored with him, Keynotes could say, "Screw you guys! I'm going back where the school that that loved me before." Well, that makes total that makes total sense, guys. But that doesn't solve their problem of what to do right now. Yeah, and but we, it, it, that, that, go, that goes yeah. back to the whole beginning thing that Kim talked about. You can't just play a whole season with three scholarship quarterbacks. Well, they it, just it, did it. Well, it's tenable. You can you can maybe get away from it for a year, but there was there was legitimate ideas as to why they couldn't do it on yeah. a short recruiting thing and all that stuff because they had already brought in one guy from the portal in Penix. So. Now, with a whole recruiting cycle behind them, if they ended up without a quarterback, that's 
pretty criminal. That's not something that they and, want to do. And, and then how about if uh, they lose keen holes and then one of the quarterbacks in Washington decides to transfer out? Well, here's You're the thing. Two. If if yeah. if Keen, yeah. if Keenholz doesn't sign with Washington, does that change the math for Dylan Morris or Sam Heward if either one of them was thinking about going somewhere else? I to me it would, but again, you don't necessarily want to be beholden in your particular situation to what everyone else is doing. Again, it's that musical chairs. There's so many there's only so many chairs to go around, and if you're the Washington staff, you absolutely cannot be one of those schools without a chair. I mean, that's you're already thin enough as it is. Chris, it's kind of funny with this early signing period and schools getting most of their commitments done early in the process. When it was February, it just seemed like we had a lot longer and a lot crazier crazy season. But with what's going on with Keenholz in the quarterback situation, it's almost reminding me of that crazy season we used to have. Well, it's and it's getting shorter and shorter because now guys can take official visits in May and June, July. Um, you know, I I think honestly, it's it's going to and I don't remember if Chris I think Chris Peterson may have been an advocate of this. I know he was an advocate for five full years of eligibility. I know that, but I thought maybe he was in step with what Rich Rodriguez had always uh, proposed for years and years and years, and that was. If a kid takes a visit to your school and he wants to commit, let him sign right there and then. If he wants to sign, let him sign. And you remember a few years back, guys, when Clemson had like 25 guys sign scholarship papers, not letters of intent, but scholarship papers, yes. which didn't which didn't bind the player, but it bound the school. And yeah. what that did is that allowed them to publicize it. That allowed them to pump them up, to to promote them to make them feel like they were part of the team. I'm kind of surprised that that hasn't happened more and more. That was like, maybe that was just a fad. But well, my, I'm a big fan. I'm sorry, Chris, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm a big fan of the signing and it, it locking the player in and the school. I, I'm a big fan of that because well, yeah, a lot of these schools are offering these kids and then they dump them later on because they didn't have a good senior season. If a school is stupid enough to take kids that early, then guess what? You own it and you get to take them. Colorado. And I think that Colorado. a lot of this other stuff like, you know, Nebraska for years and years and years has always offered like 300 kids. We've seen Oregon offer tons and tons and tons of kids. You know, there's just there's that thing where they play that kind of game. And, you know, if you if you offer a kid that should be legitimate, that should actually have teeth, that should mean something. And that's that's why I'm wondering if we'll ever come to the point where the NCAA says, hey, if you've offered a kid and he wants to take it, that's on you. That that's that should be binding. And if they want to do that right away, then they should have the option to do that. Fun times we're in now with NIL, Transfer Portal, and all this kind of stuff. But uh, it's definitely changed the way we do business. But um, two guys from Washington entering the portal. Expecting any more before the bowl game, Scott or Chris? I am, yes. I, I think you'll, I think we're gonna hear about at least one or two more. We'll we'll have to wait and see, but I I'm I'm thinking that we're gonna see at least one or two more. We expected a lot more on Monday, and it didn't happen. So yeah, um, I, I expected more, but yeah, I think with two now, I think if if they end up with maybe five total before the bowl game is played, yeah, that sounds about right to me. But again, 
you know, I, I just think that there's a good, such a good feeling around the culture and the program right now. Yes, there are going to be a few players that either see the writing on the wall, see the depth chart, see whatever they need to see, whether they're just feeling like they need to get closer to home or whatever their personal situation is. There's going to be guys that will leave and you'll, and, and fans will wonder why they're like, my God, that guy was in line for playing time next year or this, that, and the other thing. You just don't know what their personal situation is and you don't know what their relationship is with their position coach, for instance. So there's yep. so many things that go into it. Um, I'd be surprised if there's more than five by the time the game is played on the 29th, uh-huh. but you just never know. But one thing, one thing I'll say, and Kim and Chris, I shared this with you from a dad of one of the players um, that we thought could be leaving. I, I reached out to him and just said, Hey, you know, is there anything I need to be aware of? And the dad said, Hey, he doesn't have hardly any film and that we can show anybody. So how can we go anywhere? You know, yeah. how can he go anywhere? Cause he doesn't have film. And, and so, um, you know, this, and, and you know, it, it's something where you've just got to say, wow, that kind of makes sense. If they don't have film, they can't go anywhere. What the hell are they supposed to do? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And Scott, they put out a couple offers to guys who've entered the portal. Yeah. One was a tight end out of Cal Poly. Um, Josh, uh, I believe it's Cuevas is how you say his name. And then, uh, Holmes is it Gavin Holmes out of uh, West Virginia or I'm sorry Wake, Wake Forest. Forest that yeah. that got an offer that's a corner prospect and that was a guy that I had on my list on Monday of guys that Washington was vetting I didn't have Cuevas up there so um and you might see a running back offered um you know Washington's really looking at that East Carolina kid Keaton um they're they're looking at him pretty strongly too Keaton uh, Keaton Mitchell yeah yeah I believe yep yeah, there's, it, it's interesting because I uh, Courtney Morgan had a tweet that he put out a few days ago, basically talking. He put a, 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 a gif out there of uh, I don't remember. It's I think Boiler Boiler uh, Boiler Room is the movie, the actual movie. But it it uh, it basically portrayed them as, you know, making deals and stuff with with some of these portal guys that are going on. So there's no question that the the Washington staff is right in the thick of all this. And I'll be very curious when the smoke uh, goes away and the dust settles and all this stuff, how many guys they will have really gone hard at in this portal. And obviously there's going to be a a correlation between how many guys they really seriously go for and then how many guys they lose that end up in the portal. And we didn't mention, we didn't mention the tight end out of Michigan too, Eric all Eric. all, Um, And, and it sounds like he, there's a possibility he might visit this weekend, but um, it also the rumors that are going on out there right now are that he's going to follow the transfer quarterback from Michigan who went to Iowa sounds like he might be headed down there. So, yeah, well at Michigan, he's got the ties with Courtney Morgan, you know, the recruiting coordinator at Washington. So I'm sure Courtney knows him well, but uh, Chris, I'm sure you'll update the numbers here pretty quick because everybody thinks that they want to take this guy, take this guy. But when you take a look at the numbers, I mean, they can only have 85 on scholarship, you know, so they definitely need some attrition, not only with guys graduating, but uh, they need some more guys to enter the portal if they're going to take more guys. Because we're still looking at, are you guessing, Scott, three to four, like a, a DB, a tight end, a running back and possibly two DBs? Yeah, somewhere in there, somewhere in that range, three to four, three or four yeah. guys. Yeah. So um, you just can't take everybody. You got to get no. to the number of 85. Yep. And Washington isn't just going to 
do a USC in mass or what Deion Sanders is doing in mass exodus guys. These are, these are kids who put in blood, sweat and tears for this staff this year. They're not just going to cut them loose. Yeah. Um, Colorado had the a commitment from the tight end uh, from O'Day. Is yeah, that Tucker Ashcraft? Yep. Is that something that was somebody that Washington would look at? Well, they did, and they didn't offer him. He's a preferred walk-on guy if he is, if he's anything, in my opinion. I just everybody when 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 we heard that Washington was looking at him, um, it raised some eyebrows from some of the local scouts out here. Um, so it, it it isn't that he's a bad player. We just I mean, he's kind of maxed out talent wise. So um, and you're usually not taking those guys uh, when, if you're a school like Washington or Washington State, even um, you're you're just you're not taking those kind of guys. Maybe you're taking them as a preferred walk on and saying, hey, come in, uh, we'll let you play. We'll let you possibly earn a scholarship and see where things go. But um, I think this I think this, I think Tucker Ashcraft would be better served going to an FCS school and and being able being able to flourish there. But you could sell to that kid because you just point to Jack Westover, who was a walk on. I don't think he's a athlete, the Jack Westover. No, was. he isn't. Not at all. Yeah. So. But uh, any other recruiting updates, Scott? Anybody in this weekend? Anything to keep an eye on? So the one guy that we know that's coming in for sure is Keith Reynolds. He's uh, already committed to Washington. He's out of Adelanto. He's a small wide receiver, but very quick. Good return man, good good kind of in space. He's more of a slot guy. Giles, ja- Giles Jackson type? And, uh, not as thick as Giles Jackson, but maybe a little quicker than Giles Jackson. Um, and maybe a little more dynamic as an athlete than Giles Jackson. Not that Giles Jackson is any slouch athletically, but this guy's a little bit more stop-start than, than he is. Um, we're and On Sunday, when we met with Kalen DeBoer after the announcement that they were going to the Alamo Bowl, he he was asked a question about recruiting and he said he expects a few or I think he I think he said a few, but it might have been a couple official visitors to come in this weekend, this coming weekend. So we're still trying to figure out who some of those other guys might be. So. All right. And then uh, any I know we're coming up on signing day, not anticipating is, if anything happens, I'm guessing it's going to blindside us something we're not expecting. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it would be a surprise if anything uh, surprised us. All right. <laughs> I hate to put it that way, but that's. Yeah. Well, and also remember, guys, there's a we've got a couple weeks here. You know, it's, well, it's the 13 21st. Days. 13 yeah, it's, days. it's well, almost two weeks then. Yeah. But it's you know, it's not until the 21st, whereas, you know, typically it would be like a week ahead in most years. So, you know, typically it would be a little quicker. You wouldn't have as much potential for movement like these first couple weekends, because you got to remember, and, and, and this goes back to, to Kim's thought about how things have changed and how fast it's going. It's, you know, these last, these, these first two weekends in December were always the monster weekends. These were the ones where they wanted to roll out the red carpet because the season, the regular season was over. You could really dedicate 24 seven to recruiting the guys you needed to putting the finishing touches on them, coaches going in for their in homes, because DeBoer has been out on the road all week. I mean, I, there's been pictures of him on Twitter from high school coaches and in-home visits and all these other things going on. So these guys have been trying to do all this stuff at the same time. But now it's literally like putting the, the, the cherry on top of the Sunday. Whereas in the past, these, these first two weeks in December were all about 
making sure the entire Sunday was put together. Now it's been like the entire Sunday has been put together like at the end of July. And so wow. that's where it's 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 so different than what it used to be. But again, with two weeks left until or almost two weeks left until that first day of the, the mid-year signing period, there's still going to be a lot of twists and turns. But I think it has more to do with the portal now than it does with high school guys. By the way, I, I, by the way, I think uh, um, DeBoer is probably going to do his in-home with Diesel Gordon tonight <laughs> because he's down in Texas anyway. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing that that <laughs> so. guy's been you, Kim, you want to talk about your uh, your your schedule in terms of going places and traveling and whatnot. DeBoer's schedule this week must have been just off the rails. Yeah, but he's flying private. Come on now. That is true. <laughs> it's completely different. Yeah, that's completely different. So well, we could we could tell we could tell people about your story about flying uh, private this last week. We're not going there. No, okay. no, we're not, go, we're not going there. But anyways, uh, also t- tomorrow night, six o'clock tip off uh, Gonzaga, Washington. Does uh, Chris, does Gonzaga look a little more vulnerable right now than maybe they have the past couple of years? Well, it seems like it if you go by the win loss record, for sure. But um, the other thing is they played what they, I'm sure their their strength of schedule has got to be at the top, if not the top. Yeah. I mean, they played everywhere. They played everywhere. They played everybody. Um, and so, you know, they're they're getting uh, more than battle tested for their for their regular season in the WAC. But, yeah, when you lose a guy like Chet Holmgren and some of these other guys, it feels like maybe there's a chance that they're gettable. But, man, alive, they were – Washington almost got them the last time they played in Spokane. So they, I think the guy – I think it was uh, Hachimura – was the guy that made the shot at the very, very end to beat Washington. Uh, but they had a heck of an opportunity and they played them. Uh, they played them straight up all the way to the very end of that game. So um, I know they're going to have their work cut out for them. And obviously losing Frank Kepnang for the season uh, is, is a huge blow for them, but um, you know, they've got pieces in place. They should be able to compete. Yeah. Losing Frank and then Noah Williams still being out. They've just, I mean, if Washington has a chance to win that game, Braxton Mia just cannot foul out. He cannot be in foul trouble, and that's been uh, his big aboo all year long. So if he gets in foul, foul trouble, they're going to have to put Jackson Grant on Drew Timmy, and that just doesn't sound very uh, uh, not not ideal. Not ideal. I know it sounds easy for me to say, Kim, but when you're seven one, why don't you just stay on the ground? Just put your hands up. I just never I never understood why guys that are so tall always feel the need like they've got to jump to do everything. And well, if that if it was that easy, Chris, they'd all stay on the ground. That's what I'm saying. Don't. But that's what they I'm don't. saying. I'm saying there's something innate that people just feel the need to jump, whether it's because they get that exhilaration of, of blocking shots all the time and all that. But I'm telling you, man, if he could just keep his feet on the ground, that would eliminate probably half the fouls that he takes every single game. So if I took you down low and I pump fake, would you go for it? Well, yeah, because I'm like five, eight. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not seven, one. <laughs> All right. Just looking forward to that game uh, tomorrow night at six o'clock. So um, your final thoughts, Chris Fetters want to wrap it up. Yeah, no, it sh- again, should be a, a huge game tomorrow night uh, in Spokane. Kennel will be rocking for sure. So that'll be a great atmosphere for them to play in. I know they're looking forward to it, but 
yeah, next couple of weeks are, are, are going to be chock filled with information coming out of the portal. Um, I do believe that uh, I agree with Scott that we were kind of expecting a little bit more information and maybe some more information on guys that we're going to make decisions. But now with the way the culture is and, and the, the, the way things are going, I, I just don't know if it's because the coaches are out on the road and whatnot that maybe they've delayed uh, talking to some of the current players in the team until maybe just a little bit later. Uh, when they're on campus and they're, you know, they've got a chance to sit down and really discuss their futures. So hopefully that information will come out in the next couple of weeks. But this signing uh, period should be a really, really interesting one. And obviously the recruitment of Lincoln Kinos will be very, very interesting to see if he's kind of put into a position where he feels like he has to go ahead and sign a letter of intent uh, somewhere, whether it's Washington or Ohio State. Scott Eklund, wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, I echo pretty much everything that Chris Chris said, you know, it was it's an interesting time, man. You're 13 days away from signing day. Thought you had everything wrapped up, especially with your quarterback, probably the cornerstone of pretty much any class is your quarterback. And um, now it doesn't look like they're going to he's going to sign anywhere or if he does, it'll you know, I don't I don't know. It's 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 really confusing, um, especially with him not talking to anybody anymore. So it's re- you're just kind of reading the tea leaves more than anything. And uh, but, you know, it's going to be a fun last 13 days. We're going to have a really crazy time on the 21st uh, talking about uh, the guys that Washington signs and all that kind of stuff. So just stay tuned here to dogman.com because we'll have you covered wall to wall. We'll be doing a lot of national stuff as well as uh, Husky stuff and probably a lot of Pac-12 stuff too. Hey, Scott, uh, last count. I know it's just, like you said, keep it tuned in here. Last At your last count, how many stories did we do last month? Uh, I want to say it was close to 150, somewhere around there. I thought it was more than that. It was way more than that. Oh, it was? Okay. Yeah. I'm just – yeah, I mean, I, thought, I yeah. thought it was 180 before Thanksgiving, right after Thanksgiving. OK, yeah. and then it slowed down a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're doing five, six stories a day and then plus the network stuff. So I think in the times you get one or two, mm-hmm. sometimes you go without. So, you know, if you're looking for your Husky football fix, you know, just keep it here at dogman.com and also go to the um, Dogman Radio Archives. I know a lot of you um, are commuting and uh, on the way to work, on the way back to work. It's great. Listen, just go back in the archives and listen to some of those Dogman radios. And uh, it's good for commute or if you're just doing work around the house. Just like you said, look at that Dogman radio archive. And we got to send a big shout out, you guys. So all three of us, I'm sure you two will join me in wishing somebody happy birthday. Andy, Andy, we wish you the best. Happy birthday today to uh, our good friend, Andy, and hope he's doing well down in San Francisco. And I'll make sure and talk to him sometime today, and I'll give him the best for you two guys as well. So um, I should go down and see him and play the Olympic Club. What do you think? I think that's always been on the cards, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I got to get down. I got to get down there and see him. So anyways, just uh, like I said, you know, Chris and Scott have worked their tails off here. It just seems like we get busier when football season stops. And after that, we just tend to get really busy. So it's going to be busy, you know, now till signing day and then up through the bowl game and everything. So anyways, well, what just- people don't understand is during the season, a lot of our media stuff is kind of I don't want to say low-hanging fruit but i mean the the coaches are available the players are available we're able to do stuff all week we're on long. A, we're on a schedule yeah but when once the season is over with we have to get real creative to get to come up with all of our stuff so uh you know 
that's when you're going to be getting a lot of your uh, what do you call it, Kim? Trying to take information in like a fire hose, you oh, know, yeah. and and that's where we start doing. It. And we're, we're we're already talking about 2024 guys, but uh, starting on the 22nd and going forward, it, we'll be talking about a lot of 2024 guys moving forward. And hey, guys, real quick, real quick, we know that uh, Caleb DeBoer was the co Pac-12 Coach of the Year with Jonathan Smith. He was named the AP. Pac-12 Coach of the Year, just by mm. himself. No Jonathan yep. Smith, just Kalen DeBoer. So congratulations to Coach DeBoer. Yeah, like, yep. like like you were saying, Scott, you know, when during football season, we've pretty much got a schedule for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We know what our schedule is going to be, and then we've got the game. So we pretty much have four days out of the week on schedule, and we have a content schedule. But when the season's over, yeah, there's no schedule. It's just like, okay, we're going to leave. And when the, all three of us are gone, that's when stuff happens. So and then we're scrambling. So mm-hmm. anyways, just keep it here. And again, just take a look at those Dogman Radio archives. Lots of good stuff in there. So for all of us at Dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds, along with Chris Vetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Go dogs.